Bienvenidos todos. I'm here with Jody Rose, a very, very dear friend of mine, someone I appreciate and love, and I always enjoy running uh, into <laughs> you, uh, even in this in these tough days yeah. of the pandemic. Um, Jody is the president of the New England Venture Capital Association and co-founder, I think of more importantly, uh, probably a, a special life yeah. mission. Uh, the purpose, right, is the co-founder of Hack Diversity. Hack Diversity is a program that partners with employers to bring black and Latinx technologists into the field and helps organizations evolve to drive retention and promotion of that talent, right? Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you um, for having me, Elias. It's a privilege it's to so have you. It's so good to see you. I wish we could be yeah. in person. Like you said, I always enjoy running into you. We are long overdue for a coffee yeah. or a sip of wine. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. We, we, we can, we can yeah. do either. Um, uh, safely. Safely. Sure That's exactly right. That, you know. Tell me a little bit. Help me get to know yeah. you a little bit more. I want people to know you you are as a person before we jump into all your accomplishments and, and the great things you do here in, in New England <laughs> of all places. <laughs> so yeah, Tell I love telling you. my origin story because I'm very proud of who I am and I'm proud of um, my roots. So I'm a daughter of immigrants. I'm first generation American. Both of my parents were born and raised in Jamaica, came to the United States uh, in search of the American dream. They actually met each other when they were here in the U.S. So um, contrary to what People may think by me saying that they didn't know each other when they were in Jamaica. And they came here in pursuit of the American dream. I grew up, was born and raised in New York, uh, in Brooklyn, then Queens, and then moved out to um, a, a county called Rockland County. And my parents, I'm one of six kids, and for them it was critical that all of their, all their, their children were college educated and um, carved out a path of their own, but they were also focused on making sure that they provided us the best that they could with what they had and what they could, um, what they could afford. And so I um, actually moved to the Boston area about 15 years ago. I always like to say that I met a boy, he was cute, I followed him to Boston and got married and started a life here. And prior to Boston, I was actually working in the cable and telecom industry. I was working for Scripps Networks, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's uh, the parent company to Food Network and Home and Garden Television. And I started my career in telecom that way and was doing that for about eight years and then moved here to the Boston ecosystem and quickly realized that there wasn't the same industry and didn't know what I was going to do, but did know that I was scrappy, that I loved uh, the internet, as I was calling it at that time, um, and wanted to you know, continue my, my career in sales and business development and, and strategy. And I had an entrepreneur take a chance on me, uh, Jeff Taylor, who founded Monster.com, who um, I reached out to on LinkedIn. He saw something in me and was like, come in and let's meet. And he was the first person that gave me my shot to work in the the, the, the tech ecosystem here. And um, since then, I've been enjoying, you know, working and living in this community and in Boston. Um, contrary to what some of my New York friends would think, we love it here. I think Boston is a very unique place, particularly for a person of color. Um, it's a unique place to start a career, start a company, as you know, Elias, um, to grow a company. Uh, it can be difficult because, you know, there is a historical nature of Boston that has led to very segregated communities, and we still have a long way to go in terms of providing opportunity for, for people. But um, I've been enjoying 
the uh, the ecosystem so far and the fruits of my labor, your labor, the labor of others. And so, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Wow, I mean, so many questions. <laughs> I've met the boy. The boy, the boy is, is cute. cute. <laughs> I've met the boy. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, um, yeah, I came, I came in 2000. Yeah. So what brought you was, here? That was my first year. Um, nice. IBM. Nice. IBM. I, I, uh, I just love those stories of, you know, people giving a shot, right? I mean, I think that that, sometimes people ask me, what is it that drives mm -hmm. me to get up every day? And, and, I, and I think, I dance around and I say, people, 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 mm -hmm. people. And, and, and it's like, uh, as I, I share, it's like, being able to create companies where people can build their careers, right? But then if I were to boil it down, I think you just nailed it. Maybe I should be mm -hmm. clear about that. It's, it's just giving yeah. people a shot because I appreciate so much the shots yep. I've been given, right? And, and, and when I give a shot, I try to remind people and I'm just trying to like pass all the wisdom and say like, I'm giving you a shot. Do you yeah. understand? Like what? It's like sometimes people don't realize, yeah, right? And, and, and they miss opportunities. Yeah. But, and you did. You don't. You don't miss them. I, I remember when you took on to um, on a, on a, on the New England Venture Capital Association. You know, you that jumped was hard. Out, right? I, I, your boldness, right? I think that's 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 something I admire, right? So I um, because that's something I feel that holds us back. Yeah, and right? I, so I admire that about you too, because you're a serial entrepreneur. You've just had a pretty like amazing exit. So congratulations. Um, but I would say milestone, milestone, milestone please, not milestone. an exit. Milestone. Thank you for the correction. <laughs> but I will say, and I'm going to make an assumption that maybe you've experienced this along the way at IBM or pre-IBM. But, you know, being in spaces and, and, and oftentimes being the only person of color, the only black woman um, in these, you know, predominantly white organizations that are super creative and super profitable, uh, there's a level of having to feel like you're consistently trying to prove yourself and not just prove whether or not you belong in the room based on your abilities, but also proving that you belong in the room because of any preconceived notion that a person or people or a group of folks may have based on what you look like and based on what they assume your 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 past looks like. And so when you talk about me joining the New England Venture Capital Association, it was the scariest year of my life. So I, I, you know, I joined this org, which represents the venture community. I have no experience in venture capital whatsoever. And if, if I'm saying this, you know, now in, in, in public, I really didn't even fully understand venture capital. Um, I worked for a bunch of venture capital, venture capital backed companies. I've been in those meetings. You know, I knew how to talk about my side of the business, but, but it was very different than being in a a seat where you're talking on behalf of this community. And I, you know, from the onset knew that, okay, I am a black woman representing a predominantly almost all white male industry. And that was nerve wracking to the point where I definitely increased my visits to my therapist and to church because I was like, I don't know how yeah. I'm going to be able to be successful in this role. And I questioned myself for an entire year. I look back now, six months into the role and it is the best risk and step and move that I've ever made 
but it didn't come without um, the anxiety, the insecurity, and it was blood, sweat, and tears. And there's an adage that I talk about all the time where people says it takes a village. This took a village. It took a village of folks from my board to CEOs like yourself, to the, the team that I work with, um, to my family to really help me kind of, you know, get get outside of what was holding me back internally to, to, to be bold, as you said earlier. So thank, thank you um, and do things that needed to be done. There's two different types of imposter syndrome. I feel like there is the imposter syndrome that you're describing, I think, and tell me if I'm wrong, where you're like, am I good enough to do this because we do that versus the imposter syndrome that, that people are like, they think they deserve it, right? They think that is that is owed to them and and that they know that they're just supposed to fake it and it's just people blocking them, right? But it's but it's all within their head versus the imposter syndrome that we have because there's no one else around us that like we can see and say like is this normal? Is this not normal? We're like always yes. in like in the, in the echelons of the stuff that we're hanging with. It's like it's just no one, no one else. else. Like it's should just I awkward. be here? Like you know there were there were many times where I was like you know, do I have the right to be in this room? And when you asked me about my background, what a lot of people don't know is I started at the University of Maryland at College Park. Um, I was pre-med for like a class, quickly realized that that was not going to be my thing and then switched majors to marketing. But in my sophomore year, I dropped out of college, um, came back home, told my Jamaican parents, particularly my dad, don't worry, guys, I got this. I'm going to become an actress. <laughs> dad <laughs> my dad yeah almost lost it um thankfully he you know he he walked in grace towards me but about two months later he came home with a piece of paper and said here's your job you report in on monday um like enough with you trying to wait for uh your agent to call you about auditions that weren't happening and so now, you know, many, many years later, I moved to Boston, the most highly educated state or Massachusetts, the most highly edu educated state where everyone who I was meeting had, and I eventually finished college. I went to a state school in New York, uh, but not a competitive school and definitely not a name brand. And so I come here, come to Boston. I was working for really good companies, had built a strong resume, but if you talk about pedigree, right, in terms of what I was being compared to with my local peers, I looked very different on paper, right? I, I wasn't coming out of these Ivy League institutions. I don't have an MBA. I have two doctorates. They're honorary, right? So I didn't have to go to school for them. People people gifted them to me. And, I, and, and, and it's based on work that I've done, and I recognize that. But there was a lot of me going, hmm. I don't look like, and, and I'm not talking physical appearance, like physical appearance is one thing, but on paper, I still don't look like these people that I'm now representing and shoulder to shoulder with. And so you, you think about this imposter syndrome and do I belong and should I be here? That was beyond prevalent. It was the dominant feeling that I had. Um, and so, you know, I just find like, as, as we're thinking about you talked about earlier saying to people, do you recognize the chances and the opportunities I'm, 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 I'm granting to you? I recognize that there were people along my path that said, I'm going to take a chance on you because I see that you are talented and I want to open up this door 
because you know I want to help sponsor your next phase of your career but that doesn't happen as often as it should and so when you have leaders like yourself that are saying okay how can I help you get to the next level it is incumbent upon people to take you and and, and folks like you up on that offer because it doesn't yeah. come easily um, there's still a long road to hope yeah this is there, there is not an equal distribution no. of opportunity for many, many reasons. I mean, that is that is at, at the root of of, of, of social mm -hmm. inequity, right? It's like it's just it's just not not many, and so people don't don't know how to value that. And so, I'm news on the imposter syndrome. Joe. Tell me. I I'm done. Good. Good. Should we no more imposter syndrome. Now, are syndrome. you done talking about it or are you done feeling it or both? I'm done feeling it. It just trying to tell you that there is there is a light yeah. at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. It's it, it's a big it's a big nirvana yeah. moment that I'm saying it's like I'm done feeling yeah. imposter so let, syndrome. So let me I ask you a don't. controversial question then. You're done with imposter syndrome. You are a unicorn. Um, your company's a unicorn in many ways, but let's talk about Elias, right? Elias is a unicorn because you fought hard, you worked hard to get where you are and to have these many milestones and to be a serial entrepreneur. So there's a privilege of having these experiences um, and, you know, the, the successes that you've had. How do you then talk to and help younger people who are looking at you saying, I want to get there? And, you know, I'm fundraising or I want to get there and I am an entry level software engineer and I'm coming into these spaces still feeling imposter syndrome. What do you say to them? Right. Because at your stage and career, I get it. But for the for early career professionals and folks that are not taking the um, the traditional path to get there. What do you say to them? And um, um, thank you for bringing me on to the show, Jody. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's like, I appreciate being there to you. Uh, I was approached by my agent, my producer. <laughs> it's like, uh, no, this is amazing. But we're going deep oh, into yeah. this. I, I actually did help me answer this because um, my personality type is one that has to talk yeah. things out. And David like knows me inside out. He's my psychologist. He's my mm -hmm. therapist. And uh, yep. David can't sell. And uh, and I have to mumble, 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 and ramble until at some point it's like a crystal mm -hmm. thought comes out, right? And so I think that it's good. Uh, you 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 um you you what is it called? You, you're on the hook, <laughs> right? You you bought you got the bait that I put in you. I want to help. So like, let's take it different ways. I'll tell you one aspect of this. It's it irks me. I'm still that same individual. It irks me when people say you have the mm -hmm. privilege, right? It, 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 it is such a, so I want to yeah. just, you, I want to let yeah. you explore yeah. that for me. It is it's that mm. I want to empower people to reach their own version of their yeah. American dream, yeah. right? Don't measure it yeah. against me, or I'm not going to measure it against Bezos. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, or, or, or so-and-so, or, or Eric Yuan, the CEO mm -hmm. of Zoom. Is it like my company at that level or not? Everybody should go after their own yeah. version. I completely agree. I completely success. agree. And so that's one thing. It's a, and second, 
it's like, I would like to differentiate at least between people that made it on their own through the help of others, but in their generation versus those that mm -hmm. did not. I was just talking to an employee at Drift and I was explaining to him that a 10, we, we added up, it's like, let's just set it for sake of simplicity. 10 years ago, I had three young children under three, <laughs> under five, sorry. Uh, my wife was at home with them full time. I had left IBM after 10 years. And when we would go to a restaurant, luckily the kids did not kind of get food. And if they did, it would be like a ch mm -hmm. children's menu. Um, but my wife and I would split a meal because it's like every time we order a full plate, it was like too expensive and I feel like we were too full. And so like leaving food on the plate was like, That's it would hit me right. hard. It's, and so like we would go out to eat maybe once a week, once every two weeks. And if the bill was over $75, I was like, I'm like counting right the the like the, the the bill and making sure that doesn't add up to more than 75 bucks because we couldn't afford it right so that was 10 years ago and in 10 years i was able to overcome imposter syndrome once and forever right and so i just wanted i just want to make sure that i just that privilege mm -hmm. thing bothers me a bit because they said well you you have it's easy for you to say what do you think I should say to that? And I don't think it's easy for you to say it. I think, and so, so maybe the, the term privilege is the, the wrong way to say it, because if you had the privilege, I think in the context in which we're, 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 you're talking about it, that means, you, you know, 10 years ago, you wouldn't have to take your wife and three kids out to dinner and hope that the bill doesn't, you know, exceed $75. That is not privilege, right? That, that, that that's a part of your, your story, like your, your American dream story, how you got to, you know, part of and a piece of where you were and how you got to where you are. But I think what I would love to, what I would love for you to do as we're unpacking and processing this too, and I have to do this is how do we take those stories? How do we take the arc of like our past and, and, and to where we are and showcase to folks that were, you know, Elias 10 years ago, Jody five years ago and say, okay, here's what I was dealing with. I know that I'm in a different, different place now. And so what you're concerned about, I'm no longer concerned about because I've lived that. But how do I help you quickly move from that place of feeling so insecure that you may or may never make it to being super bullish to like believing in yourself more than anyone ever can, to believing you have the right to not just exist, but have a seat at the table and pursue the careers you want, the company you want, the amount of salary that you want. How do we help more people not be Elias 10 years ago and Jody five years ago Bingo. who were like, holy crap, do I even belong here? And that's what I'm trying to get at. Exactly. Exactly. No, they, they, good. And that's what we need to figure yeah. out how to how to tell those stories, those arcs, right? And, and I think you, you so that, that is my life goal now, right? Is to encourage people to see uh, what's possible. That in, in 10 years, you can go from not being able to go to a restaurant to take care of your family. Yeah, your fa and when you, and like, families, plural, right? Cause it's not just you and your, your household, but it's extended families and yeah.
This is very difficult to say, you know, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what I'm saying here. Like, I don't know what is good or bad for the world, for me, right? Or for my family, right? But, but, it, what, but I care about, about diversity. I care about solving for, for social yeah. inequity. And I think the only way that we solve for inequity is by not, is by being equal. And only until more people take risks. And, and they achieve their own version of success. And we show them all the possibilities out there and we let them pick from which success they wanna be a part of, right? Uh, is really that, that then we won't, we won't have enough, right? And so that, that's my I definition. I think it's gonna take us a long time to get there. Uh, it's part of Absolutely. the reason why you're doing a lot of the stuff that you do behind the scenes. And I'll let you talk about that whenever you want to you know help, you know, to help fight inequity but it's it was the, the main reason why you know i was one of the co-founders of hack diversity which is a program that that you that you and drift have fully supported and participated in and we've had long hard conversations where you know i i definitely want to bring up some of that too because i think it's important but it was important because i want people to recognize that yeah there, there are multiple avenues and pathways for them to to seek success but it's also important for the majority, right? So the majority of business owners, corporate America, um, people in these predominantly white male spaces to understand that the onus can't be on people of color only to figure this out. There needs to be some 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 systems changes in how we are funding, in how we are employing, in where we're hiring from. Um, and also standards that we're setting. And I'm not and by any means saying that we should be lowering the bar. So let's let's please take that out of our vernacular. I never want any company to feel like they have to lower the bar for them to become more diverse. As a matter of fact, when people say that I'm offended because I'm like, you shouldn't have to lower the bar for anyone. And if you're going to diversify your company, it doesn't mean you're lowering the bar. What we're trying to get you to do is broaden the aperture of how you think about funding and hiring so that you can hire your bar, become more innovative um, and be a more competitive company. So happy to. Well, I struggle. I struggle with that one a little bit because what there's the there's the bar I think in one way that we mm -hmm. see the bar, but in in others though, it's unfair, mm -hmm. right? The the lack of access and and, and preparation and network that it's, we have. Yes. And and so and so, so there has to be an adjustment there. Absolutely. For that, or at least you know, so the, I'm just saying like it's 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 like, I'm not asking anybody to like throw me a bone and make my valuation higher mm -hmm. than it should be from a business perspective, stuff like that, or, or like the potential of my business are like, no, I've been measured by Sequoia, you know, I've been measured by, by CRV yeah. and by GC, but there's a lot of things that we didn't have access to that I saw other that's people exactly have access right. to. And access is my, my right. that's a big point for me. That's, that's a huge point. It, it, there's a, and I'm going to screw this up, but bear with me, but there's a, a saying that says, you know, give a man a fish and he'll eat teach a man how to fish and he'll feed his family or he'll learn like he'll 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 be able to provide for himself and when you talk about access right. access is a key part of this right you know how are we making sure that founders like you have more access to funding right and and, and, it, and it's it's not about right. okay how do we create programs just for minority business owners it's like no how do we make sure that as venture capital funds 
are looking at building their portfolio portfolio of CEOs and new companies that they are broadening their pipeline to not just rely on their networks which are usually homogeneous but they're going they are really being intentional about saying okay if we want to if we want to get access to more companies and more founders and diversify our portfolio because we know that it'll give us access to more innovation what are we doing to actually get there and so for me it's not about when i say lowering your standards it's like how do you broaden the aperture to look at talent whether it be entrepreneurial talent or early career professionals software engineers you know hardware specialists to give them access to these opportunities but also you, you talk about preparation as well preparation is key so um, at Hack Diversity, our whole goal is how are we preparing the, the folks that we recruit, who we call fellows, into this, this fellowship that, that lasts for nine months? How do we prepare them to be ready for these internships? And our preparation also happens on the company side. It's like, okay, we're asking you to bring in talent that you're typically not recruiting um, or you're having a tough time recruiting. How do we help you make sure that you are you know, being clear in how you're setting metrics and goals? Um, how are we setting up your managers for success? Um, how are we really pushing for mutual accountability and transparency? So there's a, I think there's a leveling up that needs to happen on, on both sides of the equation. Yeah, I think you're providing preparation and you're providing mm -hmm. access, right? So I think you're solving for those two things. I, I think, Jesus, it's been 26 <laughs> minutes, I think, of recording. Um, and I don't know how many we can talk we for can a talk long for time. Two days straight. We should do like a Joe Rogan three-hour podcast. Here, here's a couple of things. One, I want to make sure that we do a whole spiel, quick few minutes on, on hack diversity, because if there's anything I want people to get out of this, is this wonderful program and, and, and how it has grown and how you're expanding and, and where you're going right with it. So I think that this is, we need more of this. That's one. But before that, I'm trying to leave, I'm trying to wrap up this idea of the imposter syndrome, right? And, and see what we can leave concretely with people, right? And I think it's something that you've done and I've done some of it. I've done it in an accidental way. I think maybe you did it in an accident. That, like that boldness to step up and show up and say like, I, I wanna apply for this. I wanna be the, 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 the head of, of the New England Venture Capital Association, right? Um, and so I think that I want people to believe me when I say that I, 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 it was more in my head and maybe in your head, right, of the fear of not knocking on that door, right, than the worst case scenario that would have happened, you know, like that, that, we, that was, you know, swirling in our heads. And so, like, independent of whether people become successful or not, what I'm trying to push from the bottom, right, is to say, I want everybody yeah. taking risk. Take more yeah. risk. It's like every time I hear an uh, amazing story of any immigrant, yesterday I was talking to um, another guest, um, maybe don't spoil in case of the order, however it goes out, but her family was from Miami and they heard that there was work in LA. And the father just put all the belongings in, a, in some yeah. car of some nature and they drove out to, and it's like her whole life stems from decisions yeah. like that right those immigrant amazing, amazing wonderful immigrant stories and so my story is like risks mm -hmm. that i took 
Your story is risk that you took from a college dropout that everybody would have been, you know, oh my God, you, she's not gonna amount yeah. to anything and blah, blah. And none of that really matters. So like, I just wanna tell people, you know, it's like going to college or not going to college does not matter. Just being uh, not a software engineer, you can become a software engineer thanks to hack diversity, right? You don't think you can fundraise money? I started Drift at 38 years old. People go, I don't have enough time. Like, it's like, yep. you got plenty of time, right? And so it's like, no matter what level of success you achieve or don't achieve, it's like, we can help and give advice on like, what's risky and what's not risky, yeah. right? So I'll, the origin story of Hack is, is really funny and I'll try to be, um, I'll try to be brief but it's a little bit long. So for those who don't don't know Hack Diversity, essentially our mission is to transform the economy by breaking down barriers for black and Latinx engineers. We work with both companies and what we call fellows on a nine month program where we're helping to provide mentorship, supports and training for both the fellow who we recruit into the fellowship and for the companies who are saying to us, we wanna work with you because we're looking for more talent. That talent can be software engineers, data analysts, and we're just launching a mechanical engineering or hardware track, uh, so recruiting for that, and that's going to be launched in 2022. And our goal was, you know, making sure that we were not just focusing on the, focusing on the pipeline, but also making sure that we were helping companies to improve their environment so that they're not just acquiring talent or getting talent in, but that the retention rates were were high and talent was sticking and folks felt like they belonged. But if you back up to when I first joined the NEBCA, NEBCA, New England Venture Capital Association, as I talked about earlier, a lot of imposter syndrome. I didn't feel like I belong. And then I met this venture capitalist who a lot of us know. I know you know him well, Jeff Buskang from Flybridge Capital. And Jeff, for those of you who know, is a type of VC that cares about funding companies, cares about returns, but he is very service oriented. And, and, and I like he has something else that drives him to be mission focused. And we sat down um, in our first meeting and I never forget, he said, take out a notebook because I'm about to give you a lot of tips. I know you're new to the industry. A month and a half later, he forwards me an article that says, that was, that was that, that said, why can't Google in Silicon Valley hire black coders? And that, that article went on to profile a, a Howard University professor who was preparing some of his CS students for an internship out west at, at Google. And basically the, the, the summary of the article just really highlighted the fact that these students felt underprepared and also like they were misfits and didn't fit culturally. And Jeff goes, this is not just a Silicon Valley issue. It happens across all tech ecosystems and we are seeing it here pervasively in Boston. What should we do about it? So at that point, I'm three months in at the NEBCA, um, again, black woman. And um, he goes, we need to do something about this. And so my response to him was, Jeff, got your back. Let me know how I can help. Because in my mind, I was going to send out a couple of tweets, a few emails, and then we were going to be done with it. And he goes, we need to launch this as a venture community. I'm tired of hearing from my portfolio companies that they can't find talent. And when I try to dig down and ask him, what are they doing about diversity? They look at me like I have three heads and say, were you not just present for the conversation where we told you we can't find talent and now you're asking us about diversity? And so we spent about seven months trying to figure out what was the what we were trying to solve, right? Were we trying to solve for the fact that there were less than 6% of Black and Latinx technologists, and that's a broad term, but folks represented in the tech ecosystem? 
or were we trying to do data? And I was like, I don't want to do data. Like you can, you can't walk a mile or a block without tripping over a study that tells you why diversity is good for business. And so what we were finding in our due diligence was that a lot of companies locally had very similar recruiting strategies, which was, you know, we want to hire the best and brightest. So we're going to double down on Harvard, MIT, BC, Northeastern, which if I'm building a company and I come here, I'm doing the same exact thing. That's why a lot of companies come here. We have the best talent pipeline startup ecosystem in the world, you know, second to none. But what we weren't hearing consistently was how was how these companies and these heads of talent were really tapping into the breadth of the talent landscape. And we came up with a thesis that, you know, you can find the best and brightest anywhere. You just have to disrupt your hiring patterns, how you think about talent, what you require that they have just to be interviewed and how you're onboarding and preparing them. And so when we basically launched, our focus was on not just getting the talent in, and, and we do a lot of professional development. We do project and product sprints with them. They break up into teams. They work with mentors. We work with IDEO Collab. We have folks from different companies that come in and help prepare them to get into these internships. So we're, we're, we're giving them the tools that they need to set them up for success. And then we're saying as a part of this program, they're going to get an internship at a company like Drift or at a company like a HubSpot or even on the biotech side or Boston Robotics. And the goal is to basically tap into individuals that are super bright, but for whatever reason, financial access, you name it, they just were not on the pathway to go to a Harvard. And although they're at a community college, they are super talented and they should be considered. And so... We are now in our fifth year. We started in our first year working with five companies and 16 fellows. We just wrapped our fifth cycle with 100 fellows and 30 companies that we've worked with. And we limit the amount of companies and fellows we work with every year on purpose because we're really high touch. Next year, our goals will include working with 125 fellows and over 30 companies. And, you know, I like to think audaciously and bold. This is not something that we want to limit to Boston. So in the next few years, you'll be seeing us pop up in other markets outside of Massachusetts. It, it's unbelievable. I think, I, think, I think this program, you know, it's, it summarizes everything that we've been talking about, right? It, it talks about, most importantly, you're, you're the first one giving them a shot to the fellows, right? You're, you're creating this, you're dedicating all your time, right? For, for to create that opportunity, right? And you created that out of nothing, right? You're such an entrepreneur as well. Uh, to me, that person, one of those person in my, it was um, uh, Michael mm -hmm. Boyd. He was the head of, the director mm -hmm. of Inroads mm -hmm. in Tampa. Black mm -hmm. man, he came to my school, he recruited yep. me to give me yep. an internship that led to my internship yeah. at IBM. And, and Inroads which became my has been position. one of the programs that we've modeled after, right? Yeah. Exactly. And so it's like, so Inroads, this, is, this was in 1996 that I learned about it. And and and, I, and they and they would train me on Saturdays yeah. to exactly like right. how to behave exactly at work. Right. It's to reduce this imposter That's syndrome, right? right? Because the kids come out and they're like, uh, if I'm allowed to call them kids, right? And I'm an old man, but it's like they come out, right? And they they're afraid. Yeah. I was afraid. I mean, I was working. My first internship at Inroads was a Bank of America, and you didn't know what etiquette was, right? Was you were like, like, okay, well, how do I act? How do I, I act when I show up? 
I'm like, my kids, my kids have ties. They go into my drawer. They can find a tie. I don't wear ties anymore, but they're like, they know when they need to dress up. The school dresses them up. There's purpose for them to dress up. I remember, you know, Mr. Boy, like, they're like getting me shirts and stuff and going buying shoes because I'm showing up at a bank with this baggy slacks yeah. and like, and these shirts with these yeah. ties and my lunch bag and, and I'm going into a corporate world because everyone that I knew, I used to clean offices. We were working at the grocery stores. We we're working at McDonald's, working yes. at UPS, yes. deliveries. Yes. It, it, it's, and so it's like, do you think I, wouldn't, I was going to feel comfortable? Yeah. Elias, like, you know, showing up at a bank. With and your story, people. that is the story of the Hack Diversity Fellow and their journey. Most of the fellows who we recruit, like they're working as a, 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 a dishwasher at a backway restaurant or an Amazon delivery person or, you know, they have a blue collar job. They're supporting a family. They're putting themselves through a school or boot camp and they're trying to figure out how do I get in? Like how do you know, what's my point of access? And Mike Boyd said, okay, I see Elias, I'm going to, there's something about him, I want to give him a shot. And that's, and that's what we're trying to do. So what you do is amazing. You know, you're giving people a shot. You're teaching them about access by bringing the companies and forcing yeah. us to listen, right? And to say, give them a shot, hire them, pay, commit. Um, you're training them, you're giving them preparation, you're giving them love, support. Uh, it, it's unbelievable, and I'm I'm gonna maybe close with this story. I don't know, if, I don't know if you know this story. Sure. So, one of the hack diversity fellows that we had at Drift um, started coming in late, and so leadership here, managers, whatever I don't know, whatever mm -hmm. we're gonna call them, they were like. Mm so-and-so is not working out you know it's um just been disappearing it just comes really late like at 2 p.m or something and we don't know where this person is at and so i'm like crap so like i go let's go for a walk and so i go talk do we go for a walk around here you know you know the office and i go what's up why are you coming to work late? And he goes, it's the first time I, I've gotten paid enough to go to the dentist. <laughs> I have, I have, I have 14 cavities. He goes, and, and it's like, so I, I have a lot of visits backed up, you know? And, and so, and I'm embarrassed to tell people, right, that, that, um, about it. Guess who, who had 14 cavities in college? And I went to the doctor, and the doctor, the dentist go pulls out this payment book, and I'm like, I'm not paying 2,000 bucks. And until I worked at IBM full-time and I moved to Massachusetts, I finally went to my doctor, my dentist in Winchester, and, and committed to doing my 14 mm -hmm. cavities in early mm -hmm. 2000s, right? It's, it's like... And so I had to go explain this to the leadership yeah. and the management yeah. team here of like, we don't all have access to yeah. dentist yeah. dental care yeah. when we're yeah. growing up. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's like, this is the kind of stuff that you're enabling, right? That that uh, Mr. Boyd enabled me to do, and 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 what you're doing is fantastic, and it is really hard. You and I yeah. both know it, 
but we want people to know about it, right? When they say they don't, they can't hire diversity. Well, if, until you take two to four fellows yeah. yourself, you know, every year, you can't complain because you you're creating the access for both. I also just right? have to give you uh, major kudos for even pulling. And then turn aside, I mean, you're an executive, right? And for you to say, I'm going to, I need to stay close to this and know what's happening and say, we're going to go for a walk to really get to understand what was at the root of him being late and giving him that feedback and that coaching one-on-one. A lot of leaders don't do that. So I want to say, thank you. Yeah, but it's, it, 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 well, this is the problem when you, when you're a leader, you're not supposed to do these things. You're supposed mm-hmm. to delegate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're not supposed to be in the weeds. But I don't know. I, I don't. I, I, I listen. I try to take yeah. coaching. But at the end of the day, we gotta we do, do what we gotta do, right? And and I think that that's the path of an entrepreneur. You gotta take risks and and um, and do that. But it's all yeah. about people. I think uh, it's uh, like I said earlier. Why do I do this? Why am I still doing this? to give people a shot right it's like there's nothing more rewarding than than being able to have taken advantage of shots that were given me you're taking those shots and now you're giving the shots back right and so it's it's always so good to see you i wish we had more time to talk because i have so much to say but i know we don't want to spend too much time because then the listeners won't listen to the whole conversation i just love you man Same. Same. same